Hello, everyone, and welcome to Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I am your host, Charlie Chappell, and today we are chatting with an extremely prolific casting director, John Frank Levy. John's demeanor is that of the cool, laid-back uncle that you'd really like to have a beer with. He comes off as calm and kind, somebody who really loves the projects that he's a part of and really loves to collaborate. If you're unfamiliar with John's work, well, you're probably not. You've surely seen it somewhere. He was the long-run casting director of ER, The West Wing, Shameless, the TV series Animal Kingdom, Third Watch, and a little throwback to The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Am I the only one that remembers that one? Not to mention introducing us to Leonardo DiCaprio in Season 7 of Growing Pains. There is a lot of really great information in this one from a man who has done it all. So get comfortable, and I hope that you learn as much as I did. We were introduced to you through Sarah Isaacson, which is a wonderful episode for anybody who hasn't listened to that yet. She spoke of you so fondly, and I have to imagine there are a lot of people in this industry who you've worked with who have kind of gone on and done their things. Uh, there are a few, actually, but not as many as you might think, actually. Yeah. Certainly Kevin Scott is uh, still working as a casting director. Uh, but I, I've worked with a woman named Patricia Noland for many, many years, and she retired from casting mm-hmm. at a certain point. Uh, Cheryl Cloner was also an assistant of mine, and she moved on as well. Melanie Burgess was my associate for many, many years, and then my partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got two little boys at home, so she's uh, taking care of them now. And I have two fantastic young women working for me now, uh, Kim Wong and Tawny Tamietti, which is fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> have they worked with you long? Yeah, years yeah. now. They each started as interns mm-hmm. when we were allowed to have interns. We're not anymore. Sure. Um, but they they have gone from interns to assistants to associates, and uh, they're indispensable. I mean, uh, they do all of the uh, parts of it that don't interest me anymore. <laughs> and they also have great taste and uh, watch a lot of stuff that I don't watch anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I... I take everybody uh, 38 and up, and they take everybody 38 and down. (laughs) So it it sounds like, and we haven't really talked about this too much on the show, the importance of the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you're working with, the people who are working under you and with you. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we're all... Casting is a completely collaborative thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody uh, does it alone. Nobody, uh, you know, the, we work with producers, directors, writers, studio executives, networks executives, and and with our staffs, uh, and and everybody has has a, a, a contribution to make. And I'm very, uh, I no longer need. Any, I mean, certainly nobody goes into casting for attention, so <laughs> I, I I didn't need any attention to begin with. But I've certainly gotten more than my share. And so at this point in my life, uh, it doesn't matter whose idea it is. It matters that it's a good idea. I like that. I think that that's, and that's where the best stuff comes from. The, the, the instances that I've been on set or that I've worked with people who, who dictate, that ends up being not as good as it could have been. I, I agree. I mean, I think that's true at, uh, you know, in every department and on the set. I think mm-hmm. the directors who are autocrats are not... Uh, it's not as much fun. And part of the reason Absolutely. we're all in show business is that we can be 
however old we are and go to work in blue jeans <laughs> and t-shirts and you know and enjoy it and have a have a great time i yeah. mean uh, uh, there's pressure and intensity and all of that and it's important and we care about it and uh but uh at the same time we're show business people and we're a tribe of of people who who insist that it's um fun mm-hmm do you think a lot of people who were like my generation coming up think of it that way? I don't know what your generation <laughs> thinks. <laughs> I'm 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 curious about that because the the people who have been in the industry for a while that I've spoken with have that mentality, the tribe mentality. And it seems that there's less of that the younger I start talking to people. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I uh Right at seventeen, I and and actually before that, uh, the theater as an audience member was the first place I felt the magic, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, experienced the miracle, and uh, and and so my identification. But I don't know why people go into show business if it's not to be part of the storytelling arts. Mm-hmm. If they do it for the champagne and the fancy clothes and the limousine rides they're going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. that happens occasionally and by accident yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're better off buying a limousine company yeah probably (laughs) you can dress nice and ride in a limousine anytime you want uh well let's step back actually then uh let's go to the beginning where do you come from and how did you get out here i grew up in uh, in riverdale in the bronx Mm -hmm. new york city uh very fortunate to have two um, extremely bright parents who were professionals. My dad wrote for the fake news, the New York Times, and uh, <laughs> my mom was a Ph.D. scientist who taught and worked in uh, research. Uh, um, what kind of science? Uh, she was a biochemist, I think, or maybe a biophysicist. Mm-hmm. Never was quite sure of the difference. <laughs> but um, But she took me to the theater as a boy, and to things that were that I did understand, and also to wildly inappropriate off-Broadway plays that were completely over my head, mm-hmm. but expanded my head to come close to reaching what they were about. You know, Samuel Beckett and Edward Albee and Eugenie Inesco. Mm-hmm. And, you so know, from a very early age, you were very early age. seeing I, the greats. We, you know, we also saw the pajama game, but in Guys and Dolls. Uh-huh. But... Uh, and and uh, she would make my brother and I wear these stupid sweaters, and we would go from the Bronx into Manhattan and go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it was uh, really uh, life-changing. I found myself, I think in some ways, um, past generations have had that experience in churches and temples and mosques. <laughs> but for me, it was when the lights went out, and um, I, I got some sense of what the world was about and mm-hmm. what the history of the world was about and what my what I might want to do with my life. That shared experience, just uh, the yeah. whole nature. Sitting around the campfire, kind yeah. of telling stories, singing songs. Yeah. So that how early did that start for you? God, I was really a boy. Yeah. Eight, nine, ten. You know, we would Are go. there any shows that stick out as just uh, I remember, transformative? I remember Guys and Dolls was really uh, yeah. fantastic. We saw it at the, uh, the New York City's City Center, Civic Center, I don't know. Um, and it, it was just all them 
gambling and the sex was probably what got me. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do remember seeing uh, a play called In White America about uh, the integration of a southern school. And I remember that the girl who was playing the child who was the black child that was integrating that school um, went up on her lines and was, but it was so real. Mm. And what had preceded it was so real that when she called out line and the stage manager fed her the line and then she went on, it was part of the magic. (laughs) Huh. So she embraced that moment, that mess up. And played with it like a jazz musician and kind just of went. turned it into gold, which yeah. is what we sometimes mistakes are. And uh, that stuck with you all yeah, your life. Yeah. I love it. So how did that transition of love of theater become you eventually directing theater? Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> sometimes when I do a speaking engagement or whatever, I tell a little bit of my story and I tell it in the in this context of there was this girl. And There's my, always a girl. <laughs> my senior year in high school, um, they sort of knew they had lost us. I went to an elite private school called the Fieldston School. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were already into college, and so there were still six weeks left of school. So they created an internship program, and people went to their various father's offices. In those days, I don't think a lot of the mothers worked. But... You know, and and saw what happened in a law office or a newspaper or a doctor's office or, you know, whatever. But there was this girl who wanted to be an actress um, in the senior play. Mm -hmm. So I tried out for the senior play, and she didn't get a part, and I got the lead. It was uh, (laughs) Camino Real or Camino Real, depending on how you say it. And then the principal came to rehearsals and said, this is way too controversial, you can't do this play. Uh, So we ended up doing Tiger at the Gates, and I got the lead in that as well. Mm. And then I went off to uh, college at the University of Rochester, and I was at an orientation event in the late summer before school started, and this beautiful young woman walked up to me and said, what are you going to study? And I thought... You, <laughs> what are you studying? <laughs> but then I realized. So, but I said the theater, uh-huh. just as a way to talk to her. Her name was Betsy Swift. It's hard name. to believe. Um, and then I sort of just went and joined the extracurricular theater program, and then I started directing plays mm-hmm. and, uh, with a bunch of other friends. We opened a summer theater. Uh, we got some funding from a company called Xerox that was new in Rochester, New York, and uh, we turned an old cement factory into a theater. Let's step back for a second. You got funding from Xerox. Yeah. There were three of us who went to their offices, and uh, uh, somebody wrote a check for, I, I can't really remember whether it was 10000 or 25000 but sure. it was a hell of a, a lot, lot of money, money in those days. Yeah. And, we emptied a cement factory and built a small theater. Awesome. It was great fun. How long How long was that in operation? Um, well, I think it lasted a long time after I left. I, I was there only uh, uh, that one summer because uh, then I graduated from college and moved on. Sure. So that era, you're you're learning about yourself. You're figuring out school. You're... How did the transition after that 
get you into the industry? Well, I, uh, uh, there was this girl, and um, uh, she ended up being my wife and the mother of my children. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was from uh, Kentucky, and she didn't really want to move to New York. And uh, so we wrote letters. You may know what letters oh, are. Oh, yeah. We wrote letters to friends who <laughs> lived in Los Angeles and San Francisco and mm-hmm. maybe a couple of other places. And the people in L.A. answered first. So okay. after we got married, we got on a train and uh, in... in uh, uh, in Ohio and took a, tra- a sleeper train out to L.A. and uh, uh, started looking around for stuff to do and got involved with uh, the theater and uh, directed a, a play called The Night of the 20th at a outfit which isn't here anymore called the New Artef Players, which is the Artef Players were part of the uh, uh, Jewish theater in New York in the 40s, I think. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about the dates. But this was a group of young Jewish artists who uh, were making a theater company. And there was a play by an Israeli playwright named Joshua Sobel uh, called The Night of the 20th. And it was about um, a group of European Jewish kids who went to Israel and formed an early kibbutz. And they were... Kibbutz? commune, okay. Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a uh, very much, they were very much like uh, the American hippies that I was part of in the 60s, um, you know, escaping the rigidity of their parents' expectations and sexual and political and economic mores and freedoms of all kinds. And uh, I happened to cast a wonderful young guy named Jeremy Lawrence in that, and his... Uh, I'm sure he'd love to be called a wonderful young guy because he's still <laughs> wonderful, but none of us are still young. Um, uh, Jeremy, his uh, lover, was uh, the director of audience development at the Mark Taper Forum, mm-hmm. a wonderful guy called Bob Schlosser. And uh, Jeremy was having a good experience. Uh, the play was pretty good, and uh, the play was excellent, the production matched and Bob came to see it and thought it was impressive and he invited Gordon Davidson to come and Gordon who ran Center Theatre Group here for many 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 decades uh, came with Jules Aaron uh, another important theatre professional on the west coast and later he offered me the NEA Directors Fellowship Hmm. at the Taper and uh, so then I spent two and a half seasons at the Taper uh, directing a lot of new plays in uh, reading format for the staff mm-hmm. to see if there was anything that they wanted to go forward and also directing in the new Theater for Now festival, which they had, which I got to direct on the main stage for a short run mm-hmm. of a new play. And I also directed in the second space in the uh, underneath the, f- what the hell is that place called? Cross from the Bowl. Uh, oh. The... the Whatever it is, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. Um, anyway, in the basement there, I directed a great Vietnam piece by a late, a wonderful playwright named Martin Wheatman. It was called Estonia You Fall with John Astin mm-hmm. and Dennis Dugan and other excellent people. And uh, I had a fantastic time. I was a little worried that all my dreams had come true by the time I was, you know, 30, You've peaked and 32 you're done or now. something like that. Uh. So, uh, I mean, one of the things that casting directors trade on from the conversations that I've had 
is taste. And you've certainly cultivated a taste, it sounds like, since you were a very young child. I, I've been open to people, and um, I've been interested in people mm-hmm. and people's stories all my life. And I think that openness and that interest gives me an empathy to actors and to performers uh, um, and to writers and directors. And I think my background with new plays gave me the opportunity to speak the language of writers and because I had directed of directors and 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 of actors because I had taught acting and you know been around actors. So I, I, I think I'm you know, there are a lot of wonderful casting directors who are encyclopedic. They watch everything, they see everything, uh, they keep files. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of more of a guy from the sixties who's a vibist. I know what you are when I meet you, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. And I mean that I don't certainly don't know you completely, but I get a sense of you, uh, and I'm interested in you, and then I have a way of knowing how how best to use you in the story. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that makes me think of a, a question that another gentleman had asked you in a uh, an interview that we'll share uh, in the show notes, um, where he uh, he used the word types, and you had an immediate and visceral reaction to yes. types, and you hated the word types. Well, I think it's sort of demeaning to people that mm-hmm. they that they fall into these. Uh, rigid categories. I think people have qualities. I think is what I said then. Yes. Yes. And uh, and people have a, a wide variety of qualities. Sometimes those qualities are buried underneath the way someone looks, and so you don't get to be. It's hard to get at that quality mm-hmm. because it's in conflict with, with presentation with with what your what the outside looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I prefer to think of people's qualities rather than to uh, rigidly put people into categories that are types. Sure. Um, so now, how did that transition of coming from Mark Taper Forum and and that world of theater? How did you how did, how did the transition finally happen of casting director? I uh, directed after I left the Taper up and down the West Coast a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had. Uh, uh, in 1980, when I started the taper, my son was four, uh, and you know you don't make any money on when you're an NEA fellow. <laughs> so I think it was seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. That's hard with a wife and a kid. Um, so I, I I started directing, you know, outside of the taper and trying to make a career that way. And I didn't really want to sit in motel rooms in Seattle and Portland and San Diego and Orange County directing plays. Um, uh, and I, I did a production of Gurney's The Dining Room here in L.A. for Peg York and Bud Yorkin's then wife, or maybe not. Um, and and it got panned, and it was the first time in my life that uh, I got slapped that hard. Mm. Uh, people didn't think I did a good job. And, uh, and it directly fell on you. It felt like it yeah, was. The re- yeah, the review used my name repeatedly in the opening paragraph uh. to describe the failure. And so I went out for a drink with a wonderful woman named Barbara Clayman, mm-hmm. who was a casting director and offered me a job. And okay. I took it. And I cast a Budweiser National commercial with her uh, for a July 4th spot. Mm. And then uh, I worked with her for a little while. And then uh, my 
college friend Eileen Berg, who was a executive at ABC for many years, uh, doing movies for television when they were on network, recommended me to my second job, which was with Marsha Kleinman, mm -hmm. who is one of the great casting directors to ever work. Um, and uh, I had the privilege of working for her for a while. And then uh, what spot, were you doing in that office? I was her associate, and we okay. did movies for television, Hallmark Hall of Fame movies. Mm -hmm. When network television did serious movies for television, yeah, um, James Garner, Stockard Channing, people like that did those movies. Um, and then a spot opened up at Warner Brothers Television under Phyllis Huffman, mm -hmm. and I got it and uh, came over there and. Uh, Fairly soon after that, a script fell onto my desk that was a two-hour movie of the week pilot uh, called China Beach. Mm -hmm. And that began what became my uh, series of wonderful successes and collaborations with fantastic writers and producers and directors. So that one, that's early, fairly long run, pretty... I think we did 66 episodes over three or four seasons. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of short seasons and a couple of full seasons. Yeah. Um, Dana Delaney and Mark Helgenberg and, uh, you know, yeah. a, a lot of really great people. Chloe Webb. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the beginning of my relationship with John Wells, who I've been working with since then. And Since then, that's that was the original introduction and started working yeah. there. Okay. I mean that's so so that one how formative was that when you're going from movies of the week when you did you know Christmas snow uh you know things like that transitioning into this l long run television series what was that well, like I didn't for know you? enough to know anything so I just did what was you know you eat the meal in front of you yeah and uh, uh episodic television is uh, a unique beast because over a seven-month period, you're, or more in network television, you're, uh, you know, you're kind of going, yeah, because you just finished one, and then you're kind of going, shit, I'm behind on the next one. Uh, so it, it's a... Uh, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, and, and in those days, it was before and... technology. Uh -huh. So you, the fact that we actually got delivered... Uh, envelopes by the go-between from the breakdown services and then we had to open them and sort them and then go through them you know all of that happens now on the computer and uh -huh. it's so uh, and and both china beach and uh, uh, early er um you know were pre uh computer mm -hmm. stuff and technology and so and they were a lot of uh, guest casting every episode so it was it was demanding yeah Let's go ahead and jump forward because you mentioned ER. It is a show that has introduced us to a lot of faces and a lot of people over the years. You were on this show for all 331 episodes. That's right. That's a lot of television. It's just shy of two weeks worth of watching if you don't take any breaks and you don't sleep. It is a lot of television. I think there, there's a longevity that you've had with a lot of the shows that you've worked that I haven't seen with other casting directors, where you, you've worked the entirety of a couple shows and you've worked on shows that have lasted for a very long time. 
And the, the immediate thought question for me then is how do you keep yourself entertained? How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it creative over the course of doing the same thing for, for that long? Well, you know, you, you don't always, not every minute of every day. But um, I think the casting director's first job is to fall in love with the project. You know, the development executive's first job is to find the things that are weak or the problems and to participate in fixing them. Uh, that's not my job. My job is to fall in love and to, uh, you know, keep my enthusiasm and my excitement going and believe in it with as much of myself as I can muster every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 for the most part on, on ER, I was able to do that. I... I Partly it was a function of the extraordinary success uh, fueled, you know, re-upped your excitement and your capacity to love the characters and love the people you were working with and and just do it with uh, excitement and enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, that's something that John Wells fosters, uh, creates. He has a wonderful organizational system he has incredible respect for the department heads that he works with lots of us have been on his shows for decades we know each other well i ran into the set deck guy from shameless and animal kingdom this morning at the bagel place and he bought my cup of tea and a bagel for me and we were happy to see each other Mm -hmm. Uh, he really creates a sense of family you know he's often said that we spend more time with each other than we do with our families in some regard. And uh, that he insists that we do it. He has great integrity as a person. So he insists that we have, that we start with mutual respect and, and respect for the work itself. And in that kind of an environment, it's hard to develop that uh, cynical, you know, kind of grumpy, uh, I mean, I, I'm a fantastic grumpy old man now. <laughs> you, you seem like the optimist, though. You've got, but you've I got do, that I, seed of optimism absolutely, in you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, and I think that's a, a sustaining quality for me. That, yeah. I, that, and, and I, you know, John and, and so many others. Surrounded by good people. Yeah, so many others. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the people that were on China Beach, are we still work. Yeah. with each other and uh, and our friends uh, you know Mimi Leader mm-hmm. Carol Flint uh, Lydia Woodward just a, a lot of those people and when we've had the opportunity to bring uh, old friends from China Beach days onto ER or lately onto Shameless or mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom it's uh, it's great to see them yeah well, the show ER reinvented itself multiple times over the years, uh, kind of shifting from uh, the group yes, of doctors. Instead of, that instead of doing ER Toledo exactly. and ER Miami, yeah. we, we did stayed in Chicago mm-hmm. and just uh, and the natural had turnover flow. like a hospital does. Exactly. You in, and I think did that help keep things fresh? And yeah, help sure, keep absolutely. The, it's a, the stories fresh. Yeah, I think yeah. they had to. That you know, the the medicine was always the central part of it and and yeah. and then the personal uh, was you know they, we, we introduced great characters peopled by wonderful actors mm-hmm. and so the the writers would be rejuvenated to uh, tell new personal oh, yeah. stories and uh, and we always had so many great doctors on staff who were feeding us medical stuff constantly ah yeah uh, 
So both the medical and the personal stayed fresh. Mm-hmm. With with those reinvention times when new characters would come in or, or old characters would leave, did it ever feel like it may fall away when it when it was because that show was in its peak for a lot of the time that it was on. I mean, it, it, you know, I think it was still the number one scripted show on NBC in its last season. Yeah, um, I think we could have gone on more if we'd wanted to. Uh-huh. Oh damn, my phone's ringing. Oh no worries. Um, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just talking about the idea of uh, the show reinventing itself and how. If that was difficult from a casting standpoint... No, it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely exciting. But, you know, it was incredibly sad to say goodbye to People characters as they established. left. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, Noah stayed a long time, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and Juliana was there a long time. Uh, you know, the originals, uh, you know, George and, and Eric, and I mean, they, they were just all so... We got along so well, yeah. and it was so... Uh, it was exciting, you know. It was successful. It was, you know, it, and it, that that steady cam thing, mm-hmm. and you know the the kind of the sport of doing a seven page oneer and hoping that the guy who had the line at the end of it, who <laughs> had to say some medical thing, <laughs> yeah. didn't screw it up, uh-huh. you know. And uh, uh, it, it it had a innate excitement and we we brought in wonderful directors mm-hmm. um you know quentin tarantino did an episode that yeah. was fun and we was did he a live was he involved episode. with the casting process uh-huh, sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I and that's that leads me to a question that i haven't asked before with casting in television and and with television in general, a lot of the times, episode to episode, it's a different director. Yes. Are the directors that are going to be on the individual episodes, are they always in on the casting in sure. some sense? Yes, absolutely. They are. Um, you know, usually we've had a writing exe- executive producer yeah. and a directing executive producer. Mm-hmm. So the, the writer's room is sort of one world and the set is kind of another world and there's somebody who maybe does three or four, Chris Chulak and Rod Holcomb over the years mm-hmm. uh, uh, have, have filled that role. And then they tone with the visiting directors so that the show uh, has continuity. You know, you want the director, the visiting director to have some autonomy, sure. but you also don't want him or her to uh, take the show someplace. Go make NYPD Blue when it's ER. Yeah, or Chicago Hope when it's ER. Yeah. Um, I think, though, if you look at Quentin's episode, uh, it's a Tarantino episode. Yeah, Yeah, he he puts his stamp on things. He sure do. Uh Um, So... A lot of, the, like you said, there, there's a lot of people whose actors, a lot of actors whose faces we know and love who kind of came through there. George Clooney's first big role was Dr. Doug Ross, Julianne Margolis's, of course, is Carol Hathaway. Margulies. Is that right? Oh, I've been saying her name wrong forever. Juliana Margulies. Margulies. Juliana Margulies, of course, as Carol Hathaway. Um who I heard was supposed to die in her attempted suicide, but the producers wanted to yeah. keep her on board. Oh, no, she tested so fantastically, and her relationship with George tested uh-huh. so fantastically that, you know, that's a tradition in television. NYPD Blue, I think, 
was it NYTV? No, it was Hill Street, uh, where uh, uh, Charlie Hayde, I think, was supposed to die in the pilot, but huh. the, uh, uh, that it tested so well that sure. he had a miraculous recovery. Same with Jesse on uh, on Breaking Bad. He uh-huh. was supposed to die pretty early yeah. on. Um, with all of that, with dealing with these, with the talent, another aspect of this that we haven't really talked too much about is the work that casting directors do with contracts. And it is what are the responsibities of a casting director? When well, you know, it comes I was trained during the China Beach era yeah. by a, a, a business affairs executive named Beverly Nix uh, at Warner Brothers who uh, really taught me how to do a series regular deal. I didn't do very many of them, but I could, and I could participate in them. A lot of casting directors just kind of give the deal away to business affairs, and and that's as it should be. In the studio system, they have a business affairs department, and those people negotiate the series regular deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've done a, a, a lot of recurring deals and uh, long-term deals, but not exclusive series regular deals. Okay. Um, but, you know, but I've learned a lot about it. It happens that the woman in my life is a former business affairs executive, so I'm still getting advice. <laughs> sometimes have, solicited, sometimes corner. not. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to step back a little bit. We're going to go back and talk about growing pains. Oh, my. Yes. We're going to dig deep here on this one. Uh, I just want to quickly mention this one. Uh, you came in on the seventh season, and boy, howdy, did you find a whopper of an actor to play a character that I grew up loving. I grew up loving that show, but uh, if you, fair listener, do not know this show or who I'm talking about, Leonardo DiCaprio showed up on the seventh season of Growing Pains. Uh, he wasn't really known yet. Um, only really done a few small TV shows and 12 episodes of the Parenthood TV series. I'm curious, was this just a reg- like a regular casting situation? Sure. And you, and do you remember anything about that casting? Well, actually, uh, you know, we met Leonardo and <clears throat> uh, well, Patricia Noland worked with me in those days. And uh, sh- we read him and liked him and wanted to show him to producers and, and did. And then he became one of the people we wanted to test. It happened that actually I had a, um, I don't know how much I really want to say about this, but my marriage was falling apart at the time. And I had a trip planned with my family, which was one hoped was going to res- resurrect my marriage. Uh, and Patricia t- went to the network with Leonardo and a couple of other guys, and I have no idea who they were. And she really was the advocate for Leo, not me. Hmm. Um, although I was there at the beginning. Um, and uh, he was a kid and he played a scamp. Mm-hmm. And he was terrific. I think my biggest contribution there was that we weren't sure if another season was going to happen. And he auditioned for and got This Boy's Life, uh-huh. a feature. And um, Harvey... Shepard, who was the president of Warner Brothers Television, had the right to say, you can't do that. And I remember a conversation I had with him where I said I thought it would be good for the show if we got picked up again, if he did this film. And he reluctantly agreed. And so I think my major contribution to Leonardo was helping him get out of yeah. uh, the exclusivity that uh, that he had signed up for. Uh-huh. 
That's that's fascinating. He could have been stuck if that show would have gone one more season and right. other and things would have worked out. As yeah, it turned out. Yeah, but there there could have been a lot of different. Yeah, we'd... one door opens, another door closes, another door opens. It's Absolutely, a, a weird. You know, you you just you know you you don't know. It's, I think it speaks to the randomness of this industry. Absolutely, and and the, the sort of, you know, you 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 make a decision in the moment, and you don't know whether that's. It seems like the greatest opportunity of your life, yeah. but it might preclude something that might have been show. even better. This is crazy. Yeah, and this movie comes along. Oh, I, oh but I'm on this TV show. Right. Yeah, I can I can so, see where that would be. Um. I want to talk about wrenches in the works. Um, it's it's, uh, and what do I mean by that? Are things that get in the way of you doing what you do efficiently from production and working with producers and directors and and all of that? Are there anything that, speaking as you know, somebody who directs as well, are there any things that producers and directors could be more mindful of in regards to casting? Well, I just sometimes they they're so busy that they don't watch a, an upload, uh, uh, or they can't come to a session, or uh, they don't realize that if I don't have it on Wednesday, I can't fix it on Thursday. If I don't know that I don't have it on Wednesday, right? You know, and so yeah. sometimes just getting everybody's attention in a prompt way is is difficult. But I think for me, the thing that's been the most difficult is not never writers, producers, or directors. It's the uh, advent of technology, which has increased the supervision by studios and network. Mm. Uh, and so that that whole approval process has become uh, gigantic. You know, the, the network used to be involved in series regular casting and major arcs of recurring characters. Mm -hmm. But even as recently as ER, because it was pre-technology, you would just say, hey, we're going to use so-and-so for such-and-such, and they would go, sure. Uh, and they, wouldn't, they, they didn't watch it. They didn't see the auditions. They didn't have any information that gave them criteria to say yes or no to something except maybe previous work if it was a known actor. Yeah. And um, and now they watch uploads of one-line people, and it uh, one wonders how they have the time or why they feel the need. Mm -hmm. um, Does it, it seems to me that Everybody has an opinion on what you do specifically. That's true. Whereas less people are going to say that cinematography sucked or the sound was wonky or right. any of that stuff. But if the casting was weird or if they really love the casting, more people tend to pay yeah. attention to that. Does well, everybody, well, it's the actors who are on the screen. Yeah. And it's the actors the audience either likes or doesn't like or believes or doesn't believe. And so everybody has an opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to navigate that. Well, now we have to navigate it um, in this uh, uh, approval process. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be frustrating. And, you know, I mean, I think it's one thing if you're talking about a first-time executive producer and a group of people who haven't worked together much or, uh, you know, but 
I'm not talking about me, but you know, I'm talking about John Wells. I I, I think a junior executive at a studio or a network that thinks they know more about what John wants in a part than John thinks he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's that doesn't add up for me. Uh, and it's not anybody's fault, and I don't resent the person, or of course. you know, it's not personal at all. Yeah. Um, you they're well-meaning and they're bright time. and they're yeah. talented and they're, you know, they're doing what they're paid to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I liked it better before they could be in your office with you mm-hmm. without being in your office with you. <laughs> I understand. They had to physically be there or... Yeah. Yeah. How have you had... Have you had to change the way you navigate that side of things? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, I'm a blunt person. Oh, I can tell, yeah. You know, I mean, I hope I'm not rude. No, no, I, no I don't mean rude. to be. No. Uh, even but if you I say disagree, what you're thinking. Yeah, I say what, I, I'm sort of a paid to be an opinionated person. Absolutely. So I'm opinionated, and yeah. I'm not... Uh, so I've had to learn how to be uh, a little more diplomatic than I yeah. than my nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With Do you have any uh, advice for, say, up-and-coming uh, casting directors or casting associates who are about to get into navigating that kind of uh, situation and having to convince people that this is the right person for the job? Or Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, make your point and make it professionally and, and respectfully, uh, uh, and then accept the reality that it comes down without it becoming a conflict between you and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no... Ultimately, you know... What I think is just what I think, and you know what ends up happening is what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can only uh, try to influence it f- for the better of the show, never for self-aggrandizing because I uh, uh, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. But always passionately, and I hope fo- I hope always respectfully. Yeah. Let's talk about West Wing. The Please West Wing. The West Wing. Uh, the West Wing, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know how important it is to get every word in an Aaron Sorkin script, so we're going to say The West Wing. It's created by Mr. Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it stars Allison Janney, John Spencer, Rob Lowe, Bradley Whitford, who's incredible. Martin Sheen, also incredible. I could go on and on for ages with all the faces that show up in this show. Um, let's just start with the big question of how you came to find yourself attached to this show for the pilot. Well, it was John Wells. It was, it was a John so, Wells show, yeah, yeah, developed, yeah. created by Aaron, mm-hmm. developed for Tommy Shlami to direct. Okay, uh, but it was uh, it was John's deal at Warner Brothers and John's relationship with NBC that got it ordered, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was a John Wells Productions uh, f- for Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, uh, so and I was by then John's casting director embedded. Well, I'm very curious about casting the president of the United States. <laughs> that uh, it's it's just a role that requires a, a, a certain gravitas that a lot of actors may or may not have. Um, and I've read that. Do you think the presidency requires gravitas? It used to. <laughs> <laughs> the Saturday night tweet storm. <laughs> Well, I've read that uh, the incredible actor, Sidney Poitier, was the first choice for the president. 
is this not the look on your face tells me that maybe what I read um, well uh, I mean I Sydney Poitier is a fantastic talent I don't because that would have made a much different show oh I yeah <laughs> I don't remember the the that may have been discussed at some okay. level way above me. Okay. Uh, I, I, I was never part of a conversation about him. Okay. We read some people. You know, that the president wasn't a series regular in the um, initial Because the, real, the story was originally around Sam, right? It was about, it built, was about built the West around Wing. Sam, around all the of, West Wing. All of yeah. the people, all of the other characters. And POTUS was just uh, going to be a recurring character. And uh, we read some wonderful guys for that part during mm-hmm. that uh, John Cullum, I think, was close to getting. John Cullum was that because I read Hal Holbrook was up for it yes, and, and Alan Hal Alda, was, all of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Who actually ended up coming and playing the Republican rival later in the election? Uh, I love Alan Alda. He, just, he did a spectacular turn on ER. Yeah. Before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did the character change? I mean, I guess it, it did. It, of of the president when Martin Sheen became the president. Sure. Well, Did you know, the role immediately adjust once yeah, immediately. he was I mean, attached? As soon as he was attached, it became a regular. Ah, okay. Uh, or, or shortly thereafter. Uh, and, you know, I think Martin had, had had been in All the President's Men, mm-hmm. and I don't think he played the president, but he, you know, he and Martin had a certain sort of Kennedy-esque quality, and uh, maybe more Bobby than John, but uh, he had that, sure. that that quality. And also Martin was uh, very politically active as a person. Uh, and uh, I, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think Aaron evolved the character from watching what Martin brought to the character. Martin was fantastic. Yeah. He's a guy you could watch paint a wall. And and, he's just a. I, mean, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, an early Terrence Malick movie called Badlands. Oh yeah, yeah, I've uh, seen Badlands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's incredible. Spacek and Martin Sheen playing something very different than Jedediah Bartlett. Uh huh. <laughs> very different than Jedediah. <laughs> um, so I work with an acting coach uh, and a teacher when I'm not making things. And I've worked a lot of Aaron Sorkin and a lot of David Mamet. Uh, John Patrick Chanley kind of falls in there as well. And there's a certain, uh, I don't know what, in how important the pacing is and the writing itself and understanding the material is. And I'm curious, uh, over the years, did you, how many actors don't get that? How many actors does that not well, click they, with? Well, you know, there are certain actors that have a facility with language yeah. uh, that matches up with Aaron's writing style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very different than uh, than Mamet, uh, uh, very different. Yes. Uh, uh, but there's uh, still an importance to the oh, words yeah. and the pacing. Well, and the, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think every writer has the importance mm-hmm. of their, ry- their rhythm. Aaron's rhythm just happens to be uh, damn fast. <laughs> yeah. And there's some actors that are, you know, verbal in that way Mm -hmm. some people who are verbal in that way and some people who would stumble all over Aaron's dialogue and that we uh, you know it was it was quite clear quite quickly who could handle it and who couldn't yeah were there in in the audition process of that were there times in which you could make an adjustment to somebody and that kind of clicked with them or is that just an inherent? I like, think it's pretty thing? much. In, uh, you don't have time to teach somebody that. Yeah. Uh, and 
the language is so front and center that uh, you know in television going so fast, mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you 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 pretty much have to have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to jump forward a little bit because uh, we're getting close to our hour, and I don't want to take up too terribly terribly much of your time. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, let's say Shameless. Shameless is incredible. First and foremost, uh, the the ensemble that you guys have put together, this family and their their close neighbors, is a family, and that's it's something that you've done uh, a, a few times before in creating uh, the feeling of a family. And we'll talk about Animal Kingdom in a, in a moment, uh, which is another incredible family. Wh- who was the first place to actor on Shameless? Was anybody attached early on? Uh- Bill, Bill Macy was. got attached uh, first. Okay. Um, and, you know, we had a relationship with him from, from ER, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, where he played Dr. Morgan Stern. And uh, he's just one of the great Best. talents <laughs> and wonderful people that I've ever had the privilege to know in show business. He's just, and I think, you know, partly... He's it's tribal because he comes from you know the theater and mm-hmm. and and, and uh, has done such so many great so much great work. John and I saw him in the two hander uh, in New York together years ago, years and years ago. What's the college professor and the female student and the was there or wasn't there? Oh, I know, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, forgotten the title of it, but we saw him in that as well, mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's just, and I think you know, those young people who, you know, some of them were eight and seven Very when young. we started, yeah, and they went to the W. H. Macy School of Acting. And I was going to uh, ask, how much does if uh, you do scenes opposite Bill, he makes uh, you better, absolutely, yeah, and and Emmy is, uh, you know, incredibly talented and also uh, was charged with the responsibility of being the character who was the leader of that family mm-hmm. and took charge of those children. And she did that in the Carried first seasons, the both yeah. on the on film and off film. And off uh, film. Yeah, she, she, I think, really mentored those kids. And uh, uh, Shinola is a spectacular mother figure, too. Yeah. Uh, that, that, it, it's a... It, and they came from all over the place, you know, Chicago, New York, yeah. here. Uh, so it's a happy accident, it's a very happy accident. And then you throw in, uh, again, John's sense of respect and dignity and family when you're working yeah. on a project, and, and Bill and Emmy and, and uh, you know, all the department heads who have been part of John Wells' productions for a long time, executives too, and uh, it's really... Uh, a happy on purpose, not a happy accident. Yeah, I like that better. I really do. When do you realize how special what you've created is? Um, you know, sometimes it's magic right away. ER was, you know, you, you saw the pilot and you went, wowzers, mm-hmm. this is groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, and it still holds, the pilot still holds up. I haven't watched it in a while. Incredibly well. Yeah. I watched it two days ago. I, I think the Very amazing good. thing is how young Noah is. <laughs> <laughs> were we doing Doogie Hazard or were we doing ER? Um, and Shameless, 
I mean, it it still blows my mind reading it, you know, and thinking after all the years of doing network television, you get to page 22 and you go, we can do that? You can say that? We can say that? <laughs> you know? Um, and an hour is a full hour yeah. on Shameless, which is it's really dense. It's, mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Yeah, there is. It's been wonderful uh, at this stage of my life to get a chance to work on Shameless. And mm -hmm. I love Nancy Pimentel, who's you know John's number two in the writers' room, or and uh, you know O'Malley in the old days was a kick and a half to work with Michael and. Uh, you know the directors that we've that we've worked with over the years just been so much fun mm -hmm. and uh yeah i i love it and yeah. uh, uh those kids are now bona fide talents very much they're so. not just qualities they're they have skills yeah. And a bag of tricks, and uh, well, all and, of them do you know I've talked a little bit about it on the show that it's the idea of repetitions. What makes you good at things is getting repetitions in that thing. Sure, at bats. It, it's that's it. Do it more, and you will get better. Or if you don't, then you probably then stop do something doing else. it and go. <laughs> you make baseball bats, whatever you got to do. But the idea of repetitions, and more importantly, the idea of repetitions that are good repetitions. Sure. You know, I grew up playing baseball, and my father always yelled out, "It's it's not." Practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. So right. when you're working with better, you get better. Yeah. And, and you know, to talking about working with Mr. William H. Macy every single day in and day out and working yeah. with Emmy Rossum and, and yeah. you get better. You're forced to get better. You're better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've done a lot of work with different distribution models. You've worked in cable. You've worked in network. You've worked OTT. Uh, What's which OTT? is uh, over the top, uh, which is like your crackles and your hulus and God, your Netflix. I, I couldn't find that with both hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you did a show called Chop Shop. Uh huh. Yes. A few years back, um, that I wanted to mention because uh, a very lovely friend of mine, Mr. Hayden Cito, was on that show. Um, you know, people probably know him as Edwin on This Is Seventeen, uh, and I'm curious about these different models. Is there a difference in how you approach network or cable or any of these other ones as opposed to how you approach well, sure. the, I mean, the other? You know, uh, when you, in, in basic cable, which is what Animal Kingdom is, mm -hmm. uh, we have a certain amount of freedom uh, and we take every inch of it. Uh, but in pay cable, we have uh, even more freedom okay. and, we, and we try to embrace that uh, mm -hmm. as much as we can, you know. Uh, uh, Dealing with the the nature of the content, sexual content, violence, and ideas, and just all of it is uh, 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 the freedom of uh, uh, of of shameless is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's unrestrained, and that that's kind of scary. And on the one hand, uh, we uh, um, I'm not as interested in doing network television as I once was. Um, Why is that? Because of the constraints, uh, uh huh. You, know. you you tasted the freedom. You you're out of the cave now. And, uh, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are what are some of the differences in the powers that be in those different models? 
or I, you know I, I'm not involved in those note sessions and those things but I think it's probably pretty much similar uh, everybody's doing their jobs and the development people at the network and the studios are giving notes and mm-hmm. the notes they're giving their are, are uh, a result of their experience and their observation saying well you know this isn't landing for me and might it land better if we tried that and and you know and I think the writers participate in those note sessions and then because we're a group of people who've been working together a long time and have had considerable success I mean I think I can't speak for them but I think they feel free to take notes and not take notes um, and and, uh, move forward and with their vision of how they think the show can be the best that it can be but we're all serious about trying to do it good you know yeah and we want it to be good nobody sets out to do a, a crappy show nobody ever talks about that but it's so true like you you think about it anybody who's involved in any project wants it to do well yeah and not just succeed but be good yeah. be true to your vision be what you want it to be yeah um you know, sometimes you you just want to get it done, but sometimes sure. you you know you always want to get it done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean that's something again that that John and the people he surrounds himself with have always. You know, we're we're a village that has standards and um, has raised some incredible children on television. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm proud to say, to have participated in that. Yeah. You know, as I said, nobody does my part of it alone. That you know, that casting by uh, is probably a little too much credit. Uh, I, yeah. I think uh, you know, we we, we uh, it's totally collaborative. Mm-hmm. I never do anything alone. Yeah, and that's both. You know, that's very reassuring. I have help. <laughs> Well, and I think you have to have help. If you wanted to do something alone, you, you should go paint or you yeah. should go <laughs> do something. That we is... totally depend on each other. For, for yeah. it's, that's what the storytelling arts are about. Well, there's this great little article on Backstage uh, where you give seven career tips. We'll link to this uh, uh, for people to check out as well. But I wanted to talk about one of your points um, in it, and it's uh, apropos. You talk about collaboration and how it's key. Um, and how, especially within the collaborative nature of theater, you end up working closer, closely with the writers and artistic directors, and, uh, and, and it's what it all comes together to make the production. And I'm curious what aspects uh, do film and television lack in the collaborative way that theater has more of? Well, I think in theater, you're ultimately all in the same room eventually. Ah, and, sure. You know, yeah. and and and, uh, and and the the uh, you can fil- do a movie with somebody and never see them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And film and television is more like a relay race where you're passing the baton. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, I, I'm never in the editing room, and I don't know what. I, sure, because you got to get back around to your spot to get the baton. To, yeah, because exactly. coming back around. I got to get to back to the beginning. Yeah. So I mean, you know, and I I have great respect for what every everybody does, but. Uh, uh, but we're, I think that's the difference is that I'm not in the writer's room. Uh, occasionally we get invited to go over and have them tell us what's coming up. But, you know, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis. I'm not in the, in the editing room, and I'm almost never on the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm here 
with my face in the computer looking at pictures and resumes and picking people to audition for next week's show yeah and uh sitting in kim and tawny's office doing the auditions and helping actors try to find it or you know or just keeping the room moving i i i'm mostly the front of house now tawny does all the reading and okay. kim does all the shooting and uh i i bring people in and out and introduce them and try to keep people loose i kind of play the fool out there in the hallway to make everybody relax interesting that's that's the opposite way i think than most people most casting directors do it why try, try to keep it dry well being front of house being like the you be jokey and hosty and having yeah. fun with it like uh, i do i you know listen we this is a. no i really dig that i think that's great it's, it's just it's, fu- it's so much fun to you know i i'm so much so much happier than if i had been a doctor or a lawyer or an indian chief i i love being part of show business and mm-hmm. and you know wearing wearing blue jeans and, and shaving or not or you know it, uh it's uh i'm allowed to be myself and i'm kind of a goofball so I, I, that's what i bring and you've embraced it and yeah. brought it to and i make it into something that yeah you know people feel loose around here mm-hmm. I, I hear that a lot well, it's and it's a it's a. I feel like it keeps actors from putting up their guard, maybe, in a sense, because yeah. it's real easy to go into a casting office and you meet an assistant or an associate, and they lead you in, and the casting director says hello, but that's it, and it just yeah, feels it takes me out impersonal. of the position of being this. Uh, the Wizard of Oz uh-huh. or something right? behind I mean, the curtain, and right, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm I'm out front. Yeah, uh, com- completely. And, a... and, uh, I like that interaction with the actors. Sometimes they even walk in the wrong door here if I leave it open, <laughs> and they go, "Oh, am I in the wrong way?" And it's okay. Go ahead through. <laughs> sure. Have you always been that way as a casting director? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. Uh, I like to have a good time. I feel like your direction probably informs that. Uh, having been a director and having worked with actors, because you you said you coach actors as well, or work not anymore, with, but, but I mean, you I used have to taught teach lots over the years. Yeah, and, you know, in that whole caster directing work, casting director workshop controversy raises its head. Yeah, uh, I bowed out of doing it at all because okay. it's just too controversial and too fraught. I mean, I, I guess ultimately it's buying an audition, no matter what you how you yeah. couch it, and I don't want to feel that scummy sure yeah no that's that's absolutely reasonable um we're right at an hour real quick before we bounce i have to talk about animal kingdom because i just started watching it uh for this interview oh. it's great, Parkin is it? so good uh we actually got a chance to interview kirstie mcgregor uh a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago um, who is the uh, Australian casting director, head of the Casting Guild of Australia, and who cast an- the film Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is interesting. I'm, I'm cu- curious because now we're talking about two different projects who are kind of the same project, but not. Um, I never watched. Oh, Jesus, I just oh, got the microphone. All good. Um, I, I never watched the film on purpose. Uh, interesting. Uh, I didn't want to try to duplicate it. I never watched the British Shameless either. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't want to get into that thing of going like, I want to duplicate what has already been. I wanted to. We were doing something different. Yeah. It's it, it's based on. It's derived from. But it's not. Uh huh. 
So did you go watch it afterward? Have you seen? I have seen. You it have since. okay. It's so fantastic. you've seen it afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jackie Weaver, yeah. who plays as different from Ellen, way different. But and and that's what's fascinating to me is is having an instance where you can see two people who are playing not the exact same character. One's Australian, one's set in California. They're different shows, um, and a, a film format is much different than television, but. To see two different takes on essentially the same character. Right. But it goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about in a mm. way. Um, Ellen and Jackie are different on the outside. Yeah. And have different qualities that are related to their looks and related to their experiences and related to their upbringings. Mm-hmm. And so they naturally bring differences they couldn't. Ellen couldn't she do couldn't have what come Jackie in and done Jackie did, Weaver, yeah. and Jackie couldn't do what Ellen does. Yeah, and they're both viable, valid, and br- brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, you actors are funny creatures because they're the instrument and the player at the same time, and they're what they look like and. Uh, and and what they are inside at the same time, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody you know piano players have eighty eight keys. They're in theoretically, if you press the forty third one from the left, it sounds a certain specific way, and it'll always sound that way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And an actor is much more. <laughs> you don't know what's coming out that. sometimes. Yeah, you've cast a fair few families. Are there any tips that you have from your wealth of knowledge on how to begin? Assembling yeah. a realistic TV well, family. Animal Kingdom was at least it was. Uh, uh, we had an advantage because they all have different fathers, so we didn't sure. have to create that. But uh-huh. then, then, then there was you know the the, the uh, Finn who plays Jay mm-hmm. uh, was the son of the twin of Sean's Sean Hattesey's character. So there's some. That's genetic that we wanted to try to find, and they do have a yeah. facial resemblance. And uh, but <laughs> I guess the negative way of saying it is, don't start with a redhead because then you're in. You got. You got to. <laughs> then you're you know, stuck. Everybody's got to stuck. Everybody's got to be a redhead. I think that's great advice. <laughs> don't start with the redhead. <laughs> um, John, I think I'm going to have to let you get back to work. Unfortunately, I've got tons more questions we'll have to do this again sometime uh can people follow you online i'm not uh, i don't participate in uh, great any social media of okay any kind. what I projects like to keep my privacy to myself i think that that's absolutely reasonable i think more people should uh, me too <laughs> i wish more people would <laughs> what are you working on right now where can people we're, see the things that you're coming doing to the end of uh, season four of animal kingdom i think we have three more episodes to go mm-hmm and um, then we have a couple of weeks off, and then we start season 10 of Shameless. Um, hoping to do, uh, I'd love to do a, a piece on a streaming service. We haven't done that yet. Yeah. Um, that would be fun. So if uh, there are any executives listening from Netflix, we're available, not exclusive to Mr. Wells. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just. Uh, I want to keep being stimulated and having an opportunity to grow mm-hmm. and change as a person. And that's what, you know, I, one of the things that my work provides me is a, a world to be in where I get to have a lot of experiences that I, I wouldn't have just in my own little narrow life. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly 
I'm not part of the shameless family in my personal life, and I'm not sticking up uh, banks in my personal life, so um, or running a hospital or uh, being president of the United States or any of the worlds I've gotten a chance to live in. So th this job has given me such a fantastic opportunity to see the world. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Join the army, see the world. No, come to the <laughs> entertainment industry. Become a casting director, see the world. Pretend to be a bunch of different things. Yeah, and uh, you know I hope to continue doing that as long as um, you know, I, I get the great support from Kim and Tawny mm -hmm. that I that I get, uh, uh, and and the collaboration with the colleagues and uh, that I enjoy so much. I, I'll keep doing it, uh, maybe well past when people want me to. <laughs> well, I think people are going to keep wanting you to. Any direction in your future? Any more? Um, I'm actually have a couple of plays that I've been talking to people about. I'm. Uh, I, the last play I directed was Hard Work, mm -hmm. and was I was proud of what it was. It was a world that was tough to live in, but uh, yeah, possibly. Well, I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I really hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Placing Faces. I look forward to landing in your room someday, John. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share this episode. Like is love, love is power, power is knowledge, and we like knowledge? Something like that. Maria Perry, you produce so good, thank you. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs, connecting companies and creatives seamlessly. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America. They are a hub of information about this branch of the film industry. So to learn more about the society and what it takes to get into casting, visit castingsociety.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well. <laughs>